Our Father, we uh, kid around and joke about the weather and can sometimes complain there's too much rain, there's too much... We thank you for the rain. We can't live without rain. And there are times when we are reminded how dependent we are upon you. I'm reminded that uh, things got so bad in Georgia a couple of years ago that the governor called for a day of prayer. And normally he wouldn't do that because there would be people who would be offended, but he was so desperate. And that huge Lake Lanier, which is their source of drinking water, was, was just about dry. And in desperation, he called out to you. And you sent the rain. We can say all the politically correct things we want to say, and we can talk about Mother Nature, and we can talk about the environment and all this, but this is your world, and you own it, and you run it. And the rain, the rain comes on the just and the unjust alike. It's part of your common grace. We read the scriptures and we find out that you are the creator. And not only did you create this earth, but you sustain it. And you told uh, Noah after the flood that never again would you bring a calamity on the earth like that. You assured him that the seasons would be there. That it was time for it to be cold, it'd be cold, and when it was time for it to be hot, it would be hot. And that's the truth. You govern this world. You're in charge of this world. And from time to time, calamities come in life. And things that we have gotten used to and things that we presume will always be there when they're not there, then we get desperate. And then we are reminded, and, and even unbelievers are reminded, that they better start praying. We, we cannot live without you. That's the fact of the matter. And uh, Lord, we start out trying to live on our own and living without you and doing it our way and going about life, making decisions with our wisdom and we always wind up in a dead end. We always wind up in a crash. We don't have what it takes. We're blind, we're ignorant, we're foolish, our hearts are darkened. But out of your goodness and mercy, you come into our lives. We don't seek you, you seek us. And you turn our hearts and you infuse eternal life and you regenerate us and we call out to you. And Lord, every day we're calling out to you. You come into our lives and, and we hear the gospel and, and we hear what you did on the cross and we proclaim it boldly. We proclaim the cross boldly because it's of first importance. If you didn't go to that cross and if you didn't raise out of that tomb three days later, our faith is vain and we're a bunch of fools and we've been conned. We are grateful for eternal life that you give us when we embrace you and you alone for our salvation.
You are the Savior. And we cannot be saved from our sins without you. And then what you do, Lord, is that you don't only save us from sin, but you, you sustain us. You keep us going. You order our lives. You order our steps. When we're unsure, when we're confused about the next step, you're not unsure. It's not unclear to you. And those times when we're unclear, you want us unclear. That's part of your will. That's part of your plan. Because once again, when we're unclear, we're going to turn to you. And we're going to draw closer to you. There are guys here tonight that are in transition. I don't know who they are, but you do. They're, they're, they're in process from one chapter of life to the next, and they're not sure how to navigate it. May they live off your promise. In Psalm 32, you say, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. But don't be as the horse or mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in check. Lord, you promise to show us the way that you want us to go. Doesn't mean you'll show us uh, the whole plan today. Maybe you want us unclear today. You'll give us what we need for today. Maybe we're going to be on hold for another three days or another three weeks. I don't know. But when it's time, you'll give it to us. And then when you give it to us, we don't need to fight you. We need to submit. When, when you pull that rein right, we need to go right. You pull it left, we go left. We don't want to be stubborn. We want teachable hearts. Because once again, whenever we take control, we make a mess of things. Thanks for these guys who are here tonight. We pray that our time would not be wasted. It'll be wasted if our hearts are not teachable. It'll be wasted if, if we're defensive. It'll be wasted if we've got barriers to your truth. We would ask that the Spirit of God would do his work. Take your word and apply it in a multitude of ways, ways that we'll never know of until we get to heaven. And do your divine work tonight. There's a work, Lord, that we do. There's a work, though, we can never do. It's only of your spirit. So minister to hearts and minds and lives. Give hope where it's been lost. Give courage where it's needed. We would ask this because we're men who desperately need you. Even when we don't know it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are working our way through Daniel. And tonight, we're in one of those Bible stories that is just real familiar. If, if you were raised in church, if you were raised in Sunday school... Well, I must have been three years old the first time I heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And even if you weren't raised in church, and even if you weren't raised in Sunday school, that story is so well known that, that you're aware of it. Some of these stories that are particularly ingrained in us, uh, they're dangerous. And the reason they're dangerous is that we think we know them. But this week, as I've been working my way back through this account of an event. And, and by the way, this event in Daniel 
chapter 3 didn't really happen historically, and that's not important whether it happened historically or not. It's just the the metaphysical teaching that's here that we want to absorb into our lives. I, I just said that because I wanted to relate to you guys and relate to the culture as a whole. No, this thing happened. It happened. It starts off with a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who we know to be a historical figure. If you go to the British Museum in London, they actually have an old uh, Babylonian tablet with his name on it. Uh, He existed. Um, It's part of history. This event happened. Um, And as I have gone back through it this past week and looked at it, I, uh, and I have to admit to you that when I started reading it, I thought, okay, well, let's see. What can I glean here that, that I don't already know? Well, I gleaned quite a bit. And in fact, I gleaned so much, I thought I might have to teach this in two sessions, but I'm going to try and get it all into one tonight. Uh, this is fresh stuff, and it's stuff that applies to where we are. Why are we, why are we studying the, the book of Daniel? We're studying the book of Daniel... And I'm kind of doing a summary here. If you've been here, you've heard me say this. We're we're studying the book of Daniel because I think Daniel has great application to where we are right now uh, as a nation. You you can divide the book of Daniel up into two sections. And I I should tell you this because I don't think I have said this. Uh, The the first section basically runs Daniel 1 through 6. And I would title that Daniel the Man and His Times. you get into seven to the end of the book, and it would be Daniel the man and the coming times. And you get into the 70 weeks and the prophetic and all the stuff that's going to happen. And I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, my plan is to teach the first section of this book. Later, we might get to the other. And I'm not saying when we might get to it. But if I go in to that second section, we'll be there for 12 years. And I'm not doing that right now. Okay. So we're, we're going to do one through six is, is the plan here. Um, that's the plan that we're going to do. What, what is going on and the reason that we're studying the book of Daniel, it has tremendous relevance to where we are. Uh, I'm reminded of that almost every weekend when I go do these different conferences and I have conversations with guys. Here's what I'm sensing as I talk with men in different parts of the country, whether it's I think two weeks ago, Doug and I were in Tampa, or this past weekend on the other side of the country in in Seattle. As I talk with guys, here's the sense I get from guys. Guys are concerned about what's going on. They're concerned about losing their country. They're concerned about losing their freedom. They're concerned about losing their liberty. Now, that's what happened to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's precisely what happened. Uh, in Daniel chapter 3, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of... Now, was Nebuchadnezzar the king of uh, Judah? No, he was the king of Babylon. So what does he have to do with anything? Well, these guys aren't in Judah. These guys are in Babylon. Why are, why are they in Babylon? If you've been with us, you know the, the answer to that. Because their nation of Judah was taken into captivity by uh, the king of Babylon. Babylon at this time was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He had absolutely unbridled, 
check power. He had, he had no parliament. He had no Congress. There were no checks and balances with this guy. He, he held the power of life and death in his tongue. Whatever he said was law. So he's the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He is not king of Judah. He's king of Babylon. So why are they in Babylon? Well, because of, of their unbelief and because of their refusal. And this is where you got to go back into history. God made a covenant with the Jews. And why are these Jewish guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? By the way, those are their Babylonian names. Why are these guys in this situation in Daniel chapter 3? Well, there's a, there's a history to it. Uh, they're Jews. They should have been at home in Judah. But what happened was God made a covenant with the nation, and he told them through the prophets, and you can read Deuteronomy chapter 28. That's the blessings and the curses. Basically, God said to this little tiny nobody nation of Israel, he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. So he made this covenant. He made this deal with them that he made with no other nation, with no other country. And, and it started with Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. And then you read uh, about them, you know, Joseph, and he's going into the land of Egypt and all this. This is all history. It's all history. Um, what happened when God made the covenant with them in Deuteronomy 28, 28, he says, listen, I want you to obey me and I want you to follow me, and I want you to listen to me. And God gave them something called the law. And the law is comprised of some different elements, the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. And the reason God gave them the law is that God wanted to bless their lives. And, and, and God wanted them to be um, prosperous. And God wanted them to be um, at peace in their hearts and in their relationships. And he wanted them to live in, in, in good communities. And he wanted there to be justice. And he wanted people to be treated fairly. So God gave law. What law does is that law is it gives us boundaries. We, if there's no law, you have anarchy and chaos. Twice in my life, I've been in situations where there was anarchy. Both times when I was in college in the 60s, uh, on two different campuses, I was in two different there were two different student protests going on that broke into uh, riots. And all I can tell you is this. In both situations, and the tax squad shows up, you know, eventually. But before the tax squad showed up, there was a protest going on, and then suddenly things got out of control, and you had these radicals, I'll never forget, running up the hill to the classrooms and going in, kicking in doors, pulling professors out in the hall, and beating them and kicking them and... Uh, hitting them with chairs, it was completely out of control. And I will tell you this, I remember, I, I, it, they were everywhere. They were everywhere. Uh, the thing I remember, I was standing outside, and I remember, I remember sensing, all I can tell you is sensing a demonic spirit. It came down like a fog. Interesting, isn't it? Daniel later in the section we're not going to cover <laughs> talks about this guy who's coming, who is the Antichrist. He's going to set up a one world government. By the way, we're heading in that direction. No, I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> but we're heading in that direction. Oh, when is it going to happen? Well, we don't know. But we've been moving that way along. Yeah, it's going on for a long time. Anyway, but there's going to be a point where he's going to reveal himself as the Antichrist. One of the terms that is given to him, he's called the man of lawlessness. 
Wherever there's lawlessness, it's demonic. Wherever there's lawlessness, people get hurt. When a young woman is raped, it's lawless and it's demonic, is it not? That shouldn't happen. See, when law isn't obeyed, when women aren't respected, when women aren't honored, see, God gave law. God gave law. Law is the boundary. We live within the boundaries. Now, can we keep all the law and all that? No, that's why we need a savior. That's why we need a savior. But we don't dismiss the law. The law is still important. You can't have a nation. You can't have a country. You can't have a home without laws. If you've got a kid that's incorrigible and out of control, you've got to set down some law in the home. You've got to have laws in the home, don't you? So God gave them the law. And God said to them in 28 of Deuteronomy, this is what God said. God said, listen, you guys, if, if you obey me, if you listen to me, if you love me, I'll bless you beyond your wildest dreams. But if you don't, I'm going to bring cursings upon you. And it was actually prophesied that if the nation, and you'd have good kings and bad kings in the southern kingdom, that if you don't listen to me, I'm going to take you into captivity. And the prophet spoke of the captivity that was going to come. And so this is what has occurred. Lost their nation. They're going to be there for 70 years. Lost their freedom. Lost their liberty. It is a judgment from God. I mentioned to you that uh, one of the reasons I wanted to, to, to study Daniel because it's so relevant to where we are. Because if, if you're a guy that's been around a while, you're thinking to yourself, you know what? Things are changing. They're changing quickly. This is not, this is not how I was raised. We're losing liberty. We're losing this. We're losing this. We're sensing it. It's, it's in the air. And almost on a daily occurrence, we're seeing it. They're doing what? They're, Mary said to me yesterday, uh, she came back. She had a doctor's appointment. She said, did you hear radio that they're doing this? And I said, no. She said, yeah, they want to do this. I won't tell you what it is because it'll upset you. And I started to go in and Google it so I could find out all the details and research it. And you know what? I didn't do it. And you know why I didn't do it? Because I knew what I'd find out and I'd get upset and I'd lose my peace and my joy and my contentment. So you know what I did? I grabbed my book on John Calvin's sermons on the book of Daniel when I sat down and read it. And it was great. Oh, because John uh, Calvin was talking about Daniel chapter 3 and what happens when you have a king who is in absolute control. So you can't give men absolute control. What was it that Lord Acton said? Power corrupts. How's that, how's that phrase go? All power corrupts. Power corrupts, Absolutely. And absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. It's in Proverbs 12, 9. <laughs> I just made that up. But the reason that's true is that you can't give men unbridled power is because the heart is desperately sick and wicked, as Jeremiah would say. So that's, I, that's why I didn't uh, go check that out on the Internet. I wanted to keep my joy and my peace and my contentment. So I read what Calvin had to say about uh, these guys having to live under a, a government that wanted that and that had absolute power. What do you do when you live under a government that has absolute power? Well, you know what? You better know what you do biblically. But it was interesting because as I read what he wrote, I, I was very encouraged. And, 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 and I, I had a peace as I read it. And, and, and oh, oh, it was interesting because 
I knew, see, Calvin, when he wrote that, he was in Switzerland. But he wasn't from Switzerland. He was in France. Why was he in Switzerland? Because the king in France wanted to kill him. Because of what he taught and the way that he taught the Bible. He wasn't popular there. You see? So, the reason these guys are in Babylon, the reason they're in Babylon is because the nation as a whole refused to obey God for hundreds of years, and God takes them into captivity, and it's a judgment. They're being judged. One of the reasons I didn't read the article on, that Mary mentioned to me yesterday about they want to control this, and I thought, you know what? If they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. If they don't control it, it's a mercy. If they do control it, it's a judgment from God. God's running it. It's not up to them, it's up to God. God is in control of all things. So once again, the thing that stabilized me was my view of God. Those guys, whatever decision they're going to make is from him. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. Proverbs 21.1. Now if you don't believe that, you're going to go insane. You are. You're going to have a tough time living in these days. But see, that's who our God is. So why were they in Babylon? They were in Babylon because of the judgment of God. Now let's read this passage in, in, in Daniel chapter 3, and let's see how far we can get. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits. That's, that's 90 feet. And it's width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, fine. You got a statue, 90 feet, gold. Okay. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. You've got to understand something. Who he sent for, for this big uh, assembly, he didn't send for all the people of the Babylonian kingdom. He sent for the bureaucrats. The different people that were appointed to different positions of authority and power. So he gets all the different government bureaucrats, the guys that when you want to build a fence, say you can't build a fence by a vote of three to two. He gets those guys, and he brings them from the whole Babylonian empire, and he gets them outside of Babylon in the plain of Dura, okay? And they got this 90-foot-tall statue. Uh, verse 4, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. They represented the people. And the Babylonian empire was extensive. That at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, and then he mentions all these different instruments. They had this orchestra thing going on. That when you hear all these kinds of music, watch this, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But, whatever does, but whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the different instruments, the men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. I want to tell you something. There is a spirit of idolatry in this nation. There is a spirit of submission inappropriate submission to a government. Now, the government's been established by God. Romans tells us that. But government is not God. God is God. God is your savior. God is your provider. 
Jesus is the great physician. We're so honed in, we're so tied in to dependence upon the government. I read the scripture and I see dependence on God. God's, God's always putting me in situations where he wants me to depend upon him. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. You trust in this government and this program and this and this, you know what's going to happen? You trust in that? It's going to collapse. And there's nothing left to trust in, once again, except the living God. That's going to be your option. So we see this spirit. We see this spirit. In a sense, we're, we're building this image in this nation right now. You know, submit, bow down, all this, okay, all right. It's, it's, it's anti-God. Once again, let me show you, and I've shown you this before, but let me show you God's bailout package for you. Let me show you God's social security. Let me, let me show you God's uh, health care. Uh, turn with me to Isaiah 46. This is what God says. And see, the question is, are we going to trust him? So if you're in Daniel, go left. Isaiah 46, 3. Say, Steve, uh, you've, you've referred to this a couple times already this fall. Good. You're paying attention. You ought to mark this in your Bible. Verse 3, listen to me. I'm in Isaiah 46. Listen to me, O house of Jacob and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. Watch this. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your grain years, I will bear you. In other words, listen, I carried you when you were an infant. I carried you when you were a little boy. You know what? I'm going to carry you your whole life. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your grain years, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. That's a promise from God. My grandfather, my dad's dad was a pastor. He'd start churches around the United States. Didn't have much money. Not big churches. He just kind of pioneered these little churches. And uh, lived in Los Angeles. He died at uh, 62. Um, but I remember as a little boy going down to their house for Thanksgiving, and he had, he had bought a, he got enough money together to buy a little fourplex, four little units together. And he took care of it and, you know, had a little rental income. And um, uh, there was a school right next door, and when we were there at Thanksgiving, which is usually when we go down, I'd go over there and shoot baskets in the playground. Well, I didn't know this at the time. My dad told me later, but... Um, he began to be concerned about my grandmother and her health. And they didn't have health insurance. And he was just concerned. And he was praying about what he could do because what would happen, because they didn't have health insurance. Most people didn't have health insurance. So he decided, you know what, I got time in the evenings. Uh, he went over to the school and applied for a job as a part-time custodian. And in the evenings, he'd go over there for a few hours and he'd clean up the classrooms. And along with that came health insurance. He just felt prompted to do that. Because he thought she might get sick. She didn't get sick. He got sick. And was in the city of Hope in Los Angeles for stomach cancer. Had never had health insurance a day in his life. And just several weeks after he was qualified for the health insurance, 
He finds out he has cancer, and he's in there, and it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. It isn't interesting. When he didn't need health insurance, he didn't have it. But when he needed it, he had it. Why? Isaiah 46. Why was he prompted to think about health insurance in the first place? The Spirit of God. He had stomach cancer, died. Oh, by the way, then his wife got sick, and she died a year to the day after he did. And they were both covered. We have a great Savior. You can trust him with your... I don't have this right now. You know what? If you don't have it, you don't need it. But when you need it, it'll be there. And some of you guys can tell stories just like that. If you have a history in your family of people that have walked with Christ, you've got stories in your family of God coming through for them exactly at the time when they needed it. Don't you? You say, well, Steve, I'm first generation. I don't have stories. Then you start following Christ, and he'll give you stories. Oh, you, he will? Yeah. Oh, man, that's great. Well, hold on before you think it's great. Because let me tell you how you get really good stories. Can I tell you how you get really neat stories like that? He leads you into a crisis. And you're in trouble. And, and, and there's really, you're hemmed in and there's really no way out. And guess what? If he doesn't come through for you, it's all over. Psalm 68, flip over there, please. I, I know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are still over there in Daniel 3, but I'm going somewhere with this, and, and because what I'm doing here, these guys lived at the fiery furnace. They lived. Daniel 68, Daniel 68. Isaiah 68, how about Psalm 68? Hey, Jim, when we walked in here, you asked me how I was doing. And what did I say? I said, I really could have used another cup of coffee. I just proved it, okay? Psalm 68, watch this. Blessed be, blessed be the Lord. I'm in verse 19. Psalm 68, verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. The God who is our salvation. Watch this. God is to us a God of deliverance. He delivers. He's the God who delivers. Watch this. And to God the Lord belongs, escapes from death. Isn't that wild? Have you ever had an event in your life and you should have been dead? Let me see your hand if that's true of you, okay? Oh, but you're not. Why is that? It was the Lord who allowed you to escape death. It was the Lord who allowed you to escape death. So my son Josh is sitting right here in the front row. Good to have you, Josh. Uh, Josh is 25. Aren't you 25? Yeah. Are you on your own yet? Or am I still... He's on his own, teaching, doing great. Josh should not be here, because when Mary was pregnant with Josh, Mary had been taking some medication, 
uh, for something, and she didn't know she was pregnant, so she goes to Stanford Hospital, and this, these, you know, these guys, like, you know, they say, well, now, you know, this could be a problem because you're pregnant, and we have the fetus, and you know, baby, we call it baby at our house, <laughs> and there could be some significant problems, significant issues, and all that, and, and, and the, this guy, you know, very, very sharp guy, very, you know, you'd like him if you met him. I said to me, he said, he said I'd like, uh, have you given thought to interrupting the pregnancy? Like we might pick it up again later. I mean, is that the thought here? <laughs> and Mary said, well, we don't, we don't, that's not an option for us. God's the giver of life. Well, you know, this child could be born handicapped. Well, you know, we're all born handicapped, aren't we? We're all born flawed. It's just a matter to what extent. And this guy put the heat on her and put the pressure on her, and it wasn't an option. I remember when he was born, the moment he came out, I'm, I'm there, and you know, you know, and the door, I, I mean the moment he was in the doctor's hand, there was a boom! And that side door, that delivery room, um, three doctors and three nurses came blasting in, grabbed that kid, put him in a little examination thing, and they're going over him. I mean, they're looking at him and looking at this. They were so concerned about him and the case, they used Mary's situation and Josh as a um, case study at Stanford Medical School. And so they were so concerned about what might happen, all this, they come in. I didn't know they are coming in. And they're looking all over at him. They're looking and they're checking him. And I'm going, my gosh. And, and all of a sudden, that doctor looked up and he went, To the Lord belongs escapes from death. And then we're visiting my brother in Coppell. We lived out of state. And we got kids everywhere. And we're going to see Top Gun that night. And da-da-da-da-da. And it's crazy. And we've been swimming all day. And trying to feed the kids and get them out of there. And waiting for the babysitter. Between us, there were three, six kids. And it's just kind of nuts. You know, trying to get ready. And the kids are eating. Everybody's, you know. And I'm walking down the hallway to get dressed. And all of a sudden, I have this thought. Where's Josh? Why didn't I think, where's John or where's Rachel? Where's Josh? I happen to look out because I'm walking by the fan room. I see the glass. I see the swimming pool, and I see him on the bottom of the pool. And I was out there, and I was in that pool, and as I'm going out to the pool, I go, Mike, my brother. I didn't know where Mike was, but I wanted him to hear me. And I went down there and grabbed that kid off the pool, and I brought him straight up. And Mike was there, and I handed him to Mike, and he spit water and started crying, and I spit water and started crying. <laughs> and later when we, we went to see Top Gun, I have no idea what that movie was about. Because <laughs> I was so, for three days, I was just, but to the Lord belongs escapes from death. To the Lord who daily bears our, hey guys, can I tell you something? You don't need the government to take care of you. I'm not saying government doesn't have a function, because they do. But our trust is not in government. Our trust is in the living God. And there's a point where you don't bow to government. When the government asks you to do something that's contrary to the word of God, you've got a decision to make. One of the pastors in Germany who stood against Hitler was put in prison. And one day a chaplain with a Bible came in to visit him, and he said, my friend... What is it that has brought you here? And the pastor said, my friend, what is, you, what is it that has kept you out of here? 
He probably didn't want to talk about the cross. He probably didn't want to give offense. There's another reason. There's another reason um, this was going on uh, in Daniel chapter 3. We're about to encounter the fiery furnace. Okay? And they're in Babylon. Go back to Daniel. Let's get back to Daniel. That might be a good idea here. Because the reason I'm bringing this up, guys, is because they're, they're about to face death. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stare them right in the face. And, and the death is going to come from the government. Um, note, if you would, note, if you would, verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans, another word for Babylonians, came forward and brought charges against the Jews. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. What always comes up, guys, says, where's Daniel here? Let me give you an answer to that. We don't know where he is. There's some guys that have booked their life to that question in the Old Testament. Let me just answer it for you. We don't know where Daniel is. You can read 86 pages if you want to, but let me just tell you, we don't know where Daniel is. You can speculate, and some have said, well, he's prime minister, and he was off meeting with another nation, whatever. they got about 14 different theories. I really don't care except this. He's not there. If he was there, from what we know about him, he'd be standing with his buddies, wouldn't he? He wouldn't be wussing out. He'd be standing with them for what's right. So this is the Jews that are in question here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, uh, let me read this again. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward, brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. A little jealousy may be going on here because they were promoted when they were young. You say, by the way, how, how soon did this happen after the events of Daniel 2 where Daniel interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar? And the answer to that is, we don't know. Some feel that it was shortly thereafter. Some think it was 10, 15 years later. Here's the answer to the question. We don't know how long. You can speculate all day, but we don't know. Okay? But jealousy doesn't have to be recent in order to be jealousy. Jealousy can be deep-seated and be harbored for 20, 30 years. Can it not? Sure it can. You sense a little jealousy here. Uh, there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. And that had to tick those guys off. Because it was to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that God revealed what the king was dreaming. Not the interpretation. God gave them the dream. What the guy was dreaming in the middle of the night. No one on earth can do that. Except God. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That these men, then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do, not, do, you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well. But if you do not worship, you will, have, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace, a blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Now, you know, that was, not, that, that was the wrong thing to say. Because <laughs> you're just asking for it. 
You know, the problem with these guys that have power is they get arrogant and they get proud. Oh, what God is there? Well, you're about to find out what God there is. And I want to back up for a minute. These guys, remember I said some of you guys, I mean, you say, Steve, I don't have stories like that about my grandpa or about this. But I'd like to have stories. Okay, great, great. Well, let me tell you how you're going to get stories of the greatness of God and the deliverance of God. You know how you're going to get stories? God's going to lead you into crisis. One of the reasons the Jews, are you guys still with me? Are you guys caffeinated? Because I don't want you to miss this. This is really important. Okay? One of the reasons that the Jews are in Babylon in captivity is because of what was written in Leviticus 25. Turn over there with me. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. In Israel, they not only had a Sabbath day, they had a Sabbath year. Say, so what's that all about? Well, you know. Oh, the Sabbath day, they would work six days, and then God commanded them to take a day of rest. But there, there was also a Sabbath here. And the Sabbath here was simply this. They would plant their crops, harvest, go through the cycle every year for six years. But on the seventh year, God wanted them to rest and not plant crops. It's in Leviticus 25. Now, there's a little bit of a problem. Because if you don't plant crops, guess what? You don't get a harvest. Guess what? You don't get your whole grains, right? In other words, you don't have a food supply. Uh, Leviticus 25, verse 20. But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? Because this had to blow these guys away. Nobody, nobody does this. So we worked the land for six years, and then six here we don't we don't plant we don't water and there's no harvest okay now now so what does that mean do they go oh we'll just go over to whole foods is that what they're thinking no these guys this is not an option for these guys let, let me paint the picture for you when god says this to these guys and he says this is what i want you to do every seventh year here's what i want you to understand every seventh year god is forcing them into a crisis and you know what the crisis is? It's very simple. It's a twofold crisis. Number one, the crisis is would they trust God with their immediate future? That's the question. This whole Sabbath here brought up a question of trust. Well, what, well okay, now wait a minute. I, I don't plant the seventh year? Well, my God, what if there's no harvest? Well, God said there will be a harvest. Yeah, but what if there isn't? See, the question is, the question always is, and here's what God's always doing. He's always forcing me to trust him. See, when you get serious about Christ, instead of being a Texas cultural good old boy Christian, you go to church and take the kids because your wife wants you to do it. Otherwise, she's just heck to live with during the week. And, you know, grandpa and grandma are disappointed and all that. So you just go, you know, it's what you do. You're a Texan. You go to church. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your might. He wants to be first in your life. When you get serious about Christ, everything changes. When, 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 
Hey, there are all kinds of guys who are professing Christians. They talk it. The question is, do you walk it? That's what separates the men from the boys. That's, that's the challenge, is to live it out. Not just on Sundays, I ain't doing, hey, uh, and then, you know, Monday through Friday, whatever, it's just a whole, you know, that's your Sunday thing. But Monday through Friday, that's real life. Uh-uh. He's Lord of your life. He's Lord of every area of your life. You live unto him. So he's forcing them in the crisis on two issues. Number one, on this Sabbath year thing. Would they trust God with their immediate futures? Secondly, would they trust God with their day-to-day existence? God's forcing this every seven years. As you walk with Christ, when you get serious about Christ, let me tell you what's going to happen. He's going to lead you into crisis. And then you, you, you're going to have to say to myself, you're going to have to say to yourself, am I going to trust him? If he doesn't come through for me, I'm done. I'm done. If he doesn't come through. Most guys in this room are in some kind of crisis. And if he doesn't come through for you in some way, shape, or form, you're done. Yes, you are. And everybody looks calm, and everybody looks together, and everybody... But I'm going to tell you something. There are guys in here, if you knew their situations, well, first of all, you'd be saying, thank God I'm not in that situation. It's all a matter of perspective. There there are guys in here that are very, very close to financial ruin unless God comes through. There are guys in here, I I don't know who you are, but I'm just surmising. With this many guys, there are guys in here, some of you guys have been told you won't be alive X amount of days. You were told that by the doctor, weren't you? What the heck are you doing here? (laughs) He's not through with you. See, to the Lord belongs, escapes from death. Even if you're going to dialysis, all that, that's God's deal. Watch this. But if you say, so God says, you know, six years, then don't, don't plant the seventh year. But if you say, and I love this because God knows the heart, he goes ahead and addresses it. But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we don't sow or gather in our crops? Watch this, watch this. Then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. When you are sowing the eighth year, you can still eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when, it crops, when its crop comes in. God says, listen, you trust me with this, and I'll give you so much in the sixth year, it'll last you three years. That's the Sabbath year. For 490 years, they refused to obey this. Now, 490 years, seventh year every seven years, seven goes into... So how many Sabbath years is that? Seventy. You know how many years they were in captivity in Babylon? Seventy years. By the way, God directly correlated in Leviticus 26, verse 34. He says, speaking of the judgment that's going to come, then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths all the day of the desolation while you are in your enemy's land. This was written 
years and years and years before it happened. So well, how can that be? Oh, because God's a sovereign God who knows all things and controls the world and everything in it. You see, that's how it can be. So what was the issue in these? You know what I noticed? These two issues, that God forced him into crisis, and, and when he forced him into crisis, here's the question. Will I trust God with my future? Secondly, will I trust God with my day-to-day -day existence? That was their issue. You know what? That's always my issue. We're, we're living in a time of recession that, by the way, I don't know if you know this, it's over. <laughs> and I'm encouraged. I hope you are. For some reason, I don't quite believe that. I don't know what you, where you are, but, you know, I'm still talking to guys around the country, and everything I hear happening to guys, I don't, I don't get the sense they think it's over. Maybe you don't either. And see, it's in times like these that are very, very interesting, because in times like these, in some way, shape, or form, every guy in this room is following Christ. We're forced into the same situation these guys were forced into back in Leviticus. We're asking the same question. Whatever it is you're facing, will I trust God with my future? Because you see, my investments were here two years ago. And my retirement was here, and I had this much equity in the house, and I had this and this, and now it's... You know, guys, we forget. And see, I had this, I had this, I had this. Let me tell you something. You had nothing. That all belongs to him. You are a steward. All of that he owns. See, we get confused because we think we own that stuff. You don't own that. He owns it. That was just something that he allotted under your care and supervision. It wasn't yours in the first place, was it? Oh, I've got this much. You've got nothing. You've got a stewardship. We get confused because we think, we think we're owners. You're not an owner, you're a steward. I, I, I mentioned you guys a while back. Out where we live, they got that gas drilling going on, you know, the Barnett Shell thing. And, you know, we had a meeting and they're going to do a well up the street. And, oh, that's great because we're all in on the pool thing. And then they come back, oh, we're going to do three wells. And, oh, gosh, and then, you know, I'm studying a little bit and here's how it works. And, you know, gas is at 13 bucks. And, Oh, man, that's kind of neat. It's going to be a while. It's going to take a while to do this. You may or may not get drilled on, you know, your land, but, you know, oh, well, whatever. You know. So a few years go by, and they, they're going to drill up the street, and we're going to be part of it. Oh, that's great. Oh, we're going to, that's so good, it looks like we're going to do seven wells. Oh, seven wells, gosh. And I have this friend that works with me on it, and he's got a Ph.D. and all that jazz in it, and he's saying, now, you know, right here, it's, let's just cut it in half. If it comes down to here, this is what you're going to be making. And I'm thinking, Wow. That's really good. And then in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you know, I think actually it's too good. Because I don't think God wants me to have that kind of money in my life right now. Because I minister to too many guys that are hurting. It's just a personal thing. I, I'd be surprised if it comes in like that. Because you see, if I don't ever feel the weight financially, I minister to too many guys who are, and I'll lose my sensitivity to what they're going through. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was, it wasn't like I gave it a whole lot of thought, but I thought, mm, maybe. We'll see. Then we get an email because the gas has dropped so low. They're not going to do the seven wells. They're going to do three wells. Well, that's fine. Grateful for three wells. It's free money. And then about three months later, I'm driving down the road at the site, and they've got the Derrick up, and they're doing seven wells. It changed their mind. 
because Congress was going to do something to outlaw that kind of drilling. So they went ahead and said, let's do it. I thought, oh, good, I'll get some extra money. And, you know, I'm looking at this, and, you know, it's 90 days later after they start drilling, I'm looking at this, and I'll be honest with you. So October 1, 2, 3, I'm thinking, well, you know, seven, well, okay, I'm thinking, you know, 7,000, 8,000 bucks. You know, when the wells first come in, it's good, and then it drops in half to 70% within six months. Well, oh, that'll be good. That's good timing. That'll be good. 6,000, 9,000. That'll be good. Praise God for whom all blessings flow. So I pull up to the mailbox, open the check. There it is. I open it. $980. <laughs> I said, this can't be right. And I called my friend up, who's the PhD, and he goes, well, you're only looking at one variable, but there are four variables, one, two, three, and four, and all four in your case are negative. <laughs> and see, that was some extra money, and I already had planned what I was going to do with that extra money. And then finally, I found myself, and I was heading out somewhere to go teach on living by faith. You know what's really interesting to me? God not only wants me to teach this stuff, Here's a novel idea. He wants me to live it. I don't know if you've done the math. I have. There's a big difference between 9,000 and 980. And guess what? I immediately had two questions. Will I trust God with my immediate future? Oh, and secondly, uh, will I trust God with my day-to-day -day existence? What did Jesus say? Don't worry about your life. What did Psalm 68 say? He's the God. He's the God who delivers us daily. Daily. Give us this day our, what? Daily bread. See, all my life, wherever you are, wherever I am, you know what the question is always going to be? In some way, shape, or form. Might be financial, might be health, might be marriage. The question is, is God going to deliver me? My future, I'm trying to figure out what do I do next and what's my next step. You know what? God will make that clear. He'll make it clear. Well, it's not clear right now. Well, it doesn't need to be clear right now. Because you don't have to make the decision right now, do you? But when you need to make the decision, will it be clear? Yes, it'll be clear because he's your savior and he's your Lord and he's your provider. Am I losing you guys or are you with me? This is the Christian life. So now let's go back to Daniel and see how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing. And I'll tell you what's interesting about these guys. They have been faced with an ultimatum by a government that is anti-God. A government that is raised up against the authority of Almighty God. And basically, they have been given a decision. Uh, you bow down, you live. You don't bow down, you die. And by the way, I'm heating the furnace seven times hotter. If you don't think this guy was in a rage, when guys go into rages, they don't think. If he really wanted to punish them, he wouldn't have heated it up seven times greater. He would have cooled it down seven times. Because the torment would have been worse, right? He's not, that's the problem with anger and rage. You don't think. So now they've got a decision on their hands. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. And by the way, can I tell you what their two options are here? Here, here's, here's uh, 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 in case you haven't picked this up, they're in a crisis. They're in a crisis. Why is it that we all know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because God delivered them out of the fiery furnace. Oh, you know, there are little songs we sing about the, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, great. 
Why, do we, why does everybody know that story? Because they were delivered. Delivered from what? Delivered from crisis. But see, now they got a choice. They got a personal choice. You know what the personal choice is for all three of these guys? Number one, am I going to trust God for my immediate future? Number two, am I going to trust God for my day-to-day -day existence? Oh, because if I, don't, if I choose not to bow down, this sucker's thrown. My day-to-day -day existence is over. Watch their reply and watch their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king of Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, now watch this. Watch the stability. Watch the certainty. Watch the gravitas and lack of panic. Notice the logic. Notice the sense of calm. Okay. We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter, Nebuchadnezzar. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These guys, way, way before had predetermined their response. Now, in Daniel 1, they're making compromises that don't compromise their faith. But at a certain point, they said, we can't eat that food because it violated the law that they had been given. And their lives potentially were on the line. Now their lives are for sure on the line. And you know what? They said, King, we don't, even, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to pray about it. We don't have to send out an email and for, ask for prayer support. It's just real clear. We're not doing this. Our God's able to deliver us. Uh, if he doesn't, we're still not doing it. 19. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. His facial expression was altered. I love that phrase. <laughs> That's a classic understatement. <laughs> this guy was P.O.'d. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. His facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times, more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, caps, their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Uh, he was almost right. It's the son of God. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, by the way, let me ask you something. What if they had been thrown in the fiery furnace and immediately died? 
Then what? Then, in the, then they're immediately in the presence of the Son of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Can I tell you something about these guys? There was something in their life that they valued more than their own continued existence. And it was the glory of God. That's the kind of men that God is looking for. Those are the kind of men who walk by faith. And sometimes you're delivered out of death. And when the moment comes that God has already predestined and ordained before the foundations of the world, it's appointed for a man once to die. When your moment comes, can I tell you something? Guess what's going to happen? You're going to die. My grandfather died. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In this case, God delivered them. Now, watch this. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded, said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. My other son, John, is a firefighter. And he loves his job so much. He was telling me the other day, they had one night, they fought three fires in one night. He thought it was great. And he said, you know what, Dad, you know it's great? You come back to the station, and you got the smell of smoke all over you. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with this kid? He just loves it. He just loves it. Okay. There's not, there's not even the smell of smoke in these guys. Not even the smell. Because when God delivers, hey, guys, God delivers. God opens the Red Sea, and they cross on Dry land. Some of you guys last night were up worried about something and this, and you're thinking about this deal and this tale, detail. And need, oh my gosh, you don't need to worry about details because God makes sure you cross on dry land. There's no mud on your sandals when you get to the other side. You don't need to worry about the singe of fire. God is in the details. Now watch this. Nebuchadnezzar responded, verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, watch this, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Now, I want to tell you something, in case you didn't get it. This is a great story. This is a story that's been told for years and years and generations and generations and generations. But guys, you can't miss this. It all began with a crisis, didn't it? It began with a crisis. I want to say this to you. If you're in a crisis about this or this or this, and you say, if God doesn't come through and I lose this, can I tell you something? If God, for some reason, in your situation does not come through and you lose this, I am telling you that down the road, you give it enough time and you will thank God that you lost it because it will be a blessing in your life and he will do something else. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What I'm saying to you, what I'm saying to you is that 
even as they said, here he delivered them. There will be a day in your life when you will not be delivered except you will be delivered to heaven. But he will sustain you until that time. Guys, what I'm saying is, he's in charge. And I want to say this one more time. I would suggest that you not come back to this study. Because every night, I'm going to teach the same thing. And what I'm going to teach is no matter how bad things are, no matter how bad they're falling apart, no matter you lose this, you lose this, you lose, there is a God who is in absolute control, and you are in the palm of his hand, and no one can thwart his purpose in your life. It's the most secure place in all of the world. Of all men on the earth, we are most blessed because of who he is. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Even if you walked in here discouraged, be encouraged. He's calling the shots. He's running the show. And we thank you for this, our Father. In Jesus' name.